Today on Blue 58, the Packers have a chance to right the ship this week against the Washington Commanders. With the Buffalo Bills bearing down in the not-too-distant future, can the Packers get things sorted out before they have to travel for a really tough road matchup? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. The Packers need some deodorant. John Madden is famously quoted to have said, said to have said, that winning is great deodorant. And that is really what the Packers need right now. They need a win to cover up some of what's not going right in Green Bay. This is something we talked about in the 2019 season, in the 2020 season, in the 2021 season. Early in those years, the Packers had a few games, and a lot of good teams have games like this, where games that they should have won were closer than they should have been. They still got the win, but they weren't the dominant performances that they probably should have been. But they still got the win, and that allowed them to build up a lead, first in the NFC North, and then in the NFC that they leveraged into a first-round bye in all three of those years. The Packers don't have that same deodorant so far this year. They haven't been winning those close games, in large part because they can't get out of their own way. And I would say here, heading into Week 7, they're past the point where they can really stack those early season wins in a meaningful way. They just need to start winning and winning now. They've got to get their issues sorted out. Otherwise, it's going to be a rock fight just trying to get to the playoffs down the stretch, and things are starting to shape up a little bit that way anyway. I don't like to do the if the playoffs started now thing all that regularly, especially since it is, as I record this, only October 20th. There's a long way to go. But if the playoffs did start today, the Packers would be on the outside looking in. They're currently the eighth seed in the NFC. And even with that additional team getting into the playoffs, that is not good enough. Now, to be fair, it does look like the NFC is a pretty flat field right now. And that to the larger discussion around the Packers, probably factors into why the Packers look the way that they do this year. You can see, dating back to March, that the thinking was, okay, we're going to trade Devontae Adams. He doesn't want to be here anymore. And this is going to be sort of a soft rebuilding year as we try to fill out the team a little more with the draft capital that we get for him. So the Packers add talent on the defensive side, trying to build up that that side of the ball that was already pretty successful in 2021, while adding some talent on offense that's going to take some time to grow. And in fairness, it's kind of working from that perspective. Yeah, it's been rough here early on, but if everybody grows how the Packers think they will, they should be able to finish strong and make a push for the playoffs, in theory. Because part of that plan was predicated on Aaron Rodgers continuing to play well too, and so far this season he hasn't. Even as we've said, if you control for some of the things outside of the Aaron Rodgers factor, offensive line, wide receivers, play calling opponents, all of that sort of stuff, I think it's fair to say that he hasn't played all that well. So the Packers have some work to do. As their young team grows, they need their contributors to play like the players they're capable of being. And that's not just Aaron Rodgers. That's 
David Bakhtiari. That's Elton Jenkins. That's the supposed stalwarts on the offensive line, Josh Myers and John Runyon Jr. That's Devondre Campbell. That's every defensive lineman other than Kenny Clark. That's Darnell Savage finally taking the step forward we've been waiting for him to take. Those guys all have to take steps forward, too, as Aaron Rodgers gets better, as the younger players continue to figure things out elsewhere on the roster. And standing in the way of at least part of that process are the Washington Commanders. The, it seems, perpetually rebuilding Washington Commanders. Is that a Dan Snyder thing? I don't really know, but it seems like Washington can never quite get it all together at the same time. Head coach Ron Rivera is in his third season with Washington. It feels longer somehow. Washington is 16-23 and 23 in his tenure so far, 2-4 and four so far this season. The Commanders are 2-1 and one in games decided by a touchdown or less. They are not all that far from being 3-3 three and three or 1-5, and five. and that's life in the NFL. And I think we've gotten to see this year how close the margin of error is between winning and losing, which is a good, if painful, lesson for Packers fans to experience because the Packers under Matt LaFleur have largely been really good in those one-score games. They've been winning, some people would say, at an unsustainable clip in those games. They did it fairly sustainably for three years, but now it's been a little bit closer. It's been a little bit tighter in some of those close games, and they've come out on the wrong end of them, it seems as often as not. On offense, it's Scott Turner calling the shots for the Commanders. He is Norv Turner's son and has largely followed his dad around until getting the, the job in Washington. His career to date can basically be defined by that. It's basically what has Norv Turner done, and you just follow, you know, Scott follows him around. In 2011, he got his first NFL job as an offensive quality control coach under his dad, Norv Turner. Then he was a wide receiver coach with his dad in Cleveland, then a quarterback coach under his dad in in Minnesota. Then he was apart for uh, from Norv for a year in 2017, working with Michigan as an offensive analyst. Then he was back with his dad with the Panthers in 2018 and 2019 as their quarterbacks coach. Then um, took over as Washington's offensive coordinator when Ron Rivera got the job there in 2020. Now, one of the highlights for the Commanders this season is how Turner has kind of diversified their offensive attack a little bit now that he's gotten, at least until this week, had a little bit more reliability at the quarterback position in Carson Wentz, which is not saying all that much, but he has been able to get their backs and um, smaller receivers involved in the game a little bit more than they've been in the past, and that's been good. But that's really not that big of an innovation considering where he comes from. It sounds like a big deal to be be able to do those more diverse things on offense. But you have to remember that his dad was one of the pioneers of getting the backs involved in the passing game in the 90s with Dallas. Look up the play. Just look up these numbers, letters, and words. 525F post. That was a legendary play for the Dallas Cowboys with Norv Turner. Turner and Air Coriel disciple, getting backs and ends involved in his version of Don Coriel's offense was a big part of his contribution to the game of football. Now Scott Turner considering or continuing that as the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. The trigger man for Washington this week is going to be Taylor Heineke because Carson Wentz is Hurts. So here comes Heineke, and if that's a familiar name to you, you remember the Packers and Washington football team game from last year at Lambeau Field, in which the Packers wore their throwback jerseys for the first time. Heineke had a pretty good game against the Packers last year. Not great, but he was reliable enough through the air, was solid on the ground, 10 carries for 95 yards. 
He started 15 games for Washington last season, ended up with uh, 321 for 494 passing, 3,400 yards, 20 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Pretty much backup quarterback sort of stat line. It's going to be tough for Heineke for as long as he is the starter for Washington and for Carson Wentz too, because the the commander's offensive line isn't great. They are 30th in ESPN's pass block win rate as a team. They are 30th in run block win rate. They're the 16th pass uh, graded pass blocking team. That includes everybody, tight ends, even receivers sometimes from Pro Football Focus. They're the 27th graded run blocking team. They're 29th in adjusted line yards from uh, football outsiders. They are 23rd in adjusted sack rate. All that to say, if the Packers can't handle this offensive line, pack it in for the year because it's not going to get much easier for this. I want to adopt a phrase uh, for these preview pieces uh, from Cody Alexander, who we had uh, in uh, on the show last year ahead of the, the 2021 season. Um, great follow online. His, his sub stack is great. His books are great. Uh, but he has a phrase that he likes to use called find the donkey. Who is the, who's the donkey on the offensive line? Who's the guy you should be targeting? For Washington, that is right guard Sadiq Charles. He has started the commander's last four games. And three of those games, he's had a pass blocking grade from Pro Football Focus under 40, including 1-0. Now, Pro Football Focus grades can be taken a lot of different ways. Some people trust him. Some people don't. But that is in the ballpark for Jake Hansen sort of numbers, including the zero. The only other zero I've ever seen from a game-long pass-blocking grade other than the one Sadiq Charles has is from Jake Hansen earlier this year. Kenny Clark and Rashawn Gary should be all over Sadiq Charles. If they can't get to the quarterback over right guard, you're probably not going to get to the quarterback anywhere. Washington's passing game is... Not all that exciting. They're 15th in yards, 20th in net yards per attempt. Curtis Samuel, the former Carolina Panther, leads in targets uh, for the team. He's averaging just 8.4 yards per catch, though. Terry McLaurin leads the team in yards. Scary Terry, scary for a reason. 16.7 yards per catch. That's your Jair Alexander matchup if they let him go man again this week. Please let him go man again this week. And I'm excited to watch that matchup uh, when we get to see it. Washington has five guys with at least 150 receiving yards this year. They've got a diverse attack through the air, if nothing else. For comparison, the Packers have four guys with more than 200 yards, but nobody else over 125. The Packers lean more on their high-end guys. Washington has spread it out quite a bit. Washington's running game isn't that great. They are 25th in yards, 21st in yards per attempt. Antonio Gibson leads the way way there. Don't get too excited about that because he's averaging just 3.5 yards per attempt. The offensive line is probably holding him back. But really, it's not great, and they don't really have anyone else to speak of uh, who's doing much damage on the ground for the Commanders. But Gibson is a good player. I like him a lot. He was one of our favorite targets coming out that year in the draft. He's been their workhorse guy or bell cow back or whatever farm animal metaphor you prefer. If you want to focus on one guy to be scared of, it would be Terry McLaurin. I know we've talked about this before. But he went one pick after Jay Sternberger in 2019. What could have been there? The Packers could have broken their third-round curse um, with Terry McLaurin in 2019. Bummer. So how did the Packers stop this attack? Well, I think pressure up the middle is the way to go here. In theory, the Packers' offense should be scoring enough points, and we've said this all year, uh, that the, the defense can just focus on stopping the pass and rushing the passer and go from there. That's how the Packers' defense is set up to work. The offense scores points, 
the defense is in a position where they don't have to worry about the run game. They can just focus on stopping the pass. Well, the offense hasn't necessarily held up their end of the bargain this year, but attacking the commander's offense still comes down to that anyway. They don't run the ball well enough that they can rely on staying in games through the run. The Packers got to just get pressure up the middle, make Heineke beat them um, with some mobility, moving around, stuff like that. If they can't get to that point, we might be in for another long game. And I'm certainly not ruling that out. On defense, longtime defensive mind Jack Del Rio is calling the shots for the commanders. Things have gotten gradually worse under Del Rio in Washington. They had the fourth-ranked scoring defense in 2020. They are down to 18th this year. Basically, everything has gone down with them. But the advanced numbers like them pretty good. Uh, They are 11th overall by Football Outsiders DVOA metric. They are 19th against the pass in the same, same category there, but fifth against the run. They are allowing... 22.5 22.5 points per game so far this season. In terms of pass defense, they're 15th in passing yards, 25th in interceptions, not getting their hands on the ball a whole lot, but the 14th graded coverage team by Pro Football Focus. Kendall Fuller and Benjamin St. Juicy. I hope I'm saying his name there right. If I'm not, this is not a commander's podcast, so who cares? Uh, there are their two top cover corners there. Both are ranked in the 60s in coverage grade on the season by Pro Football Focus. The Packers should have opportunities to throw the ball in theory. More on that in a second because there is a big asterisk to that theory. Coverage-wise, they should have some opportunities, though. There's more to it than that. In terms of run defense, Washington is 20th ranked by run defense grade, 21st in yards per attempt. However, some strong individual performances exist there, too. Montez Sweat is an elite run defender by grade, which you wouldn't necessarily expect given his length and weight, but here we are. He's doing a good job against the run this year. Their pass rush, though, is excellent. And this is the asterisk part of the attacking Washington through the air strategy that we talked about earlier. They have three elite pass rushers in Montez Sweat on the edge and then Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen up the middle. This is exactly the kind of team the Packers have struggled against the past couple of weeks. And hilariously, this is exactly what the Packers are supposed to be, too. In theory, you are supposed to have Kenny Clark plus some combination of Jaron Reed, Devontae Wyatt, and Dean Lowry rushing the passer from the defensive line, and then Rashawn Gary being your elite edge rusher along with Preston Smith there too. It hasn't worked out that way because Kenny Clark has been great up front, but nobody else is helping him consistency. consistently. Rashawn Gary has been great on the outside. Preston Smith has been good too, but they've got nobody beyond that, though J.J. Inigbari has come along a little bit too in the past couple of weeks. In theory, the Packers should be able to do to opposing teams exactly what opposing teams are doing to the Packers. They just haven't done it so far this season. Let's check in on Montez Sweat, though, because he's somebody we've kind of kept an eye on over the years as a, as an, uh, a Rashawn Gary alternative. We talked about him and Brian Burns and Rashawn Gary kind of all together on draft weekend back in 2019. Where are we at here in year four? Well, so far this season, Sweat has a pressure rate of 14.2% on the year. That's pretty good, but not quite as good as Rashawn Gary's 15.8%. In fact, Sweat is now behind Gary in every year so far. Uh, His pressure rate was just 8.8% last year and 11.4% in 2020 and 9.4% in 2019. That, compared to Gary, is not quite as good. Gary was 18% in 2021, 13.2% in 2020, and 10.5% in 2019. The difference is 
that Sweat has been able to finish those pressures a little bit more often, just slightly more often than Gary has. He's got 24 sacks on his career, 29 tackles for loss, and 60 quarterback hits so far. Gary has only managed 22 and a half sacks, 23 tackles for loss, and 49 quarterback hits. It's probably just a function of luck, but Gary has not gotten to the quarterback quite as often in his career as Sweat has so far. He's still been an excellent player, and I think we can say pretty confidently now that the Packers made the right decision back in 2019 as Gary starts to put together some of the counting numbers that he hasn't always had in his career to date. In terms of production ratio and ball hawks, again, Washington has an excellent pass rush. They are four deep with guys getting production ratio of one or more per year, or one or more so far this year. Jonathan Allen leads the way with a PR of 1.75 on the season, three and a half sacks, seven tackles for loss so far this year. Sweat just behind him at a 1.5 PR, three sacks, six tackles for loss. Deron Payne, a 1.42 so far this year, three and a half sacks and five tackles for loss. And F.A. Odoba rounds out their top four with a production ratio of exactly one this year, three sacks and three tackles for loss. In terms of ball hawks, safety Derek Forrest is the only noteworthy playmaker that Washington has in the secondary right now. Six ball hawks on the year. That's four passage defense and interception and one fumble forced. So where do the Packers attack Washington's defense? I think you've got some options if you want to, to go after them through the air, hoping then that you can pass protect. I think the Packers also do have to commit to doing something strange in their running game this year, and we've talked or this week, and we've talked about that a little bit over the last couple episodes. The Packers have to be willing to be a little bit suboptimal in their rushing attack this year. A big drawback of their RPO game so far this season is that they're letting the defense dictate to them what they want to do by committing to certain RPO decisions prior to the snap. Count the guys in the box, decide if that's an advantageous. Um, situation for a run and hand the ball off or pass based on where the defense is lined up. Unfortunately, opposing defenses are gaming that system a little bit, showing heavy number looks in the box, getting the Packers to commit to the pass and then just dropping from there, leaving the Packers in suboptimal passing situations. The Packers just have to commit to running straight runs, I think, this week, and then passing where they have opportunities because there will be opportunities to pass if they can pass protect. The Packers just have to to take advantage when they're there and continue to to pound away against a a Washington run defense that is good but not great. On special teams, the big thing to watch for Washington is their kickoff stuff. They've been good in kickoff coverage, but that's because their big leg kicker, Joey Sly, has 19 touchbacks in 23 kickoff attempts so far this year. Their coverage ranking is by far their best on on kickoffs, and uh, a big reason why is they just don't have to... cover all that many kickoffs. Sly is four of five kicking field goals on the year so far. He's one of one from 50 plus. He just doesn't get that many opportunities. Their punter is Tress Way. He's uh, from the big leg school of punting. Just kick it far and hope for the best from there, averaging 47.9 per punt on 35 punts so far this year. Their kick and punt returner is Dax Milne. 12 kickoff returns so far, averaging 20.5 per return. 15 punt returns, averaging 8.5 per. He was a guy we talked about as a, a dominant slot guy t- coming out of BYU back in 2021. Exactly the kind of guy you've had envisioned eventually playing for the Patriots at some point. Uh, was a dominant slot receiver in college. Uh, very productive. Uh, very consistent. Uh, just got like all of BYU's balls that were in the air were coming his way, like a, like close to 25% target share uh, his final year uh, at BYU. Packers played Washington just a year ago, and it's a good example of the sort of 
game that we really haven't gotten from the Packers this year. The Packers didn't play great that day, but they got enough plays to outlast a team they were clearly superior to. Uh, 24 to 10, the final score for the Packers coming out with the win there. Some good individual performances, some not so good team performances. Individually, the Packers did pretty well on offense. Aaron Rodgers throws three touchdown passes, one each to Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, and Robert Tunyon. But the Packers as a team on offense didn't do all that well drive to drive. They had four drives of, of three plays or less. They didn't consistently run the ball. Aaron Jones led the way with just six carries. Uh, but their defense did enough to get the win. Uh, twice they stopped Washington inside the five-yard line with goal line stands. Rashawn Gary, two sacks. Kingsley Kiki, a sack and a half for the Packers last time around. Uh, Rasul Douglas got his first start for the Packers in this game. And uh, Jalen Smith made his last appearance as a member of the Packers because he was inactive the next week before being ultimately released by the Green Bay Packers. In terms of polling, people are not super happy with the Packers this week. And I want to talk about this before I get my, my pick in for the Packers this week. But people are really down on the Packers. We've got a 0% approval rating for the team as a whole. We've got Aaron Rodgers down below Joe Barry in terms of approval rating. He's sitting at 3.3%, Joe Barry at 3. I 3.5%, so not great for Aaron Rodgers. The thing that sticks out for me, though, only 62% of voters think the Packers are going to win this, year, this week. That is a season low, and it's in line with games like the 2019 playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers. That, I think, is the all-time low in the polling in terms of win-loss stuff. But it shows where the Packers' fan base is in terms of confidence in this team right now. If the Packers are going to win this week, they have four things I think they need to do. They need to have pressure up the middle. They need to pass protect. They need to throw efficiently, and they need to be willing to run suboptimally. Pressure up the middle is easy. Find the donkey, attack the donkey, like we talked about. Kenny Clark should be able to get to the passer this week. And if it's not Kenny Clark, they should be lining Rashawn Gary up inside and letting him work. Packers also need to pass protect this week. That's been easier said than done this season so far. But Washington has excellent pass rushers, and the Packers need to be able to stop him. They need to be able to throw efficiently. Anybody can put up big numbers when you're throwing 50 passes a game. The Packers need to do better of being better down-to-down passing. And finally, they need to be willing to run when the numbers say pass. The Packers need to break their own tendencies a little bit. That is a way to do it. So do I think the Packers are going to win or lose? Well, I talked in the Giants preview about feeling like a sucker again. If you can't spot the sucker, it's probably you. So maybe I'm the sucker. But I think the Packers can get it right this week. In part because this is like the worst version of the team that's beaten the Packers so far. I don't think they're as well coached as the, as the Giants or Jets. I don't think they've got the skill position players on offense to make the, the Packers play pay like the Giants or even the Jets could. And I just don't think that they're they're as good a team as either the Giants or Jets. So even though Washington will probably do a lot of the same things that the Jets and Giants did to beat the Packers, the Packers, I think, match up a little bit better with Washington than either of those teams they've lost to previously. Maybe on top of that, I just want to give the Packers the benefit of the doubt 
one last time. Because if they can't beat Washington, I think you might as well just pack it in for the year. Things don't get easier from here on out. Yes, the Packers have two games against the Lions and another game against the Bears. But outside the division, there aren't really going to be any games that are quite as easy as this one. I have a hard time thinking of one, really, that that is really going to be quite as easy as this. And and I don't want to even say easy because the Packers have gotten burned by a couple teams that should have been quote-unquote easy wins. But this is a team that they should beat. And I have trouble just looking at the rest of their schedule, finding a whole lot of teams that they should beat as of right now the rest of the way. You probably look at the Tennessee Titans as a as a team they should probably beat. Maybe Miami, although that's that's a tough thing to say. I'm, and I'm saying outside the division because they probably should beat the Lions and Bears the next two times or the next couple times they play those teams. But it doesn't get much easier from here on out. And if you can't take care of business against a team you should beat right now with your back against the wall, I guess, I don't have a lot of confidence for you the rest of the way. And shoot, confidence is is a hard thing to restore. It would be hard for me to look at the Packers and say, yep, this is what they've done now. This is why I feel better about the team going forward if they can't get the win this week. One last thought here. There's one thing I left out about the uh, of the polling, talking about where Packers fans and their mindset are with their mindset on the Packers right now. Only 48% of our voters thought the Packers were going to make the playoffs as of this week. That's the lowest I've seen as of week seven at this point of the season, uh, in the years that we've run the poll. Nobody has been this down on the Packers at this point in any year that we've run this poll. People are down bad on the Packers right now. Even if they can't fix all of their issues this week, maybe a win provides a little of that deodorant that helps people feel a little bit better about the Packers and gets the Packers at least one step closer to trying to be the team that they think they still can be this year. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you listening in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that we are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.